Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 6.02 a.m. Central Standard Time. It's Pearl Harbor Day. It's the 7th of December, 2020. Uh, It is episode 334 of Bitcoin and little known fact. April 18th, 1942, 16 United States Army bombers under the command of Daredevil pilot Lieutenant Colonel Jimmy Doolittle thundered into the skies over Tokyo. Uh, what is what is this? Well, this is called the Doolittle Raid. And like I said, this is like a little known fact. Uh, after Pearl Harbor was bombed that Sunday, December 7th, a few months later in April, <clears throat> uh, these guys, it was a, like a total crew complement of 80 people, 16 bombers, took off from, I don't know, like the Sea of not the Sea of Japan, uh, outside of Japan. It was as, as far away as they could get on uh, aircraft carriers and launched bombers off of aircraft carriers <laughs> in a one-way trip. It was one way, guys. They were not, I mean, they were, they were going to come, they were probably going to come home, but they were not going to be coming home like in their own aircraft. Okay. What they did is they launched, they flew over Tokyo, bombed the snot out of them for revenge, and then flew straight over into China where they ran out of gas and crash landed. (laughs) And the first thing that they did was basically get captured by the Chinese. You know, they didn't get captured by the Chinese, you know, uh, by the army, Chinese army or whatever, but they were brought, they, China knew we were going to do it. <clears throat> and so when we crashed, they were taught, like the American uh, airmen were taught like one phrase in uh, Chinese, and that was, I'm an American, don't shoot. I'm with the United States Air Corps. <laughs> yeah, that like we hardly ever talk about the Doolittle raid. So I thought that, you know, a little piece of history there to begin the show. Now, speaking of attacks, let's get into this one. I want to thank you, first of all, for really zeroing in on the preloaded stimulus idea. None of us have a crystal ball. Um, but economists uh, like Ben, like Doug, have been pointing out that some Canadian households, and it tends to be the better off households, do have quite a lot of money that they've saved because there hasn't been that much to do in the pandemic. And certainly it would be great if that money could go towards driving our recovery. And I want to make an offer now to all of your listeners. If people have ideas on how the government can act to help unlock that preloaded stimulus, I am very, very interested. Maybe, as Doug Porter was suggesting, it happens by itself. That's the best case scenario for me. But if people have ideas on how we can really, you know, try to unleash that and particularly unleash it in the parts of the Canadian economy that really need support, tourism, hospitality, domestic services, uh, let me know. No, man, I ain't going to let you know. That's ridiculous. (laughs) Preloaded stimulus. What does that mean? That's uh, if you're Canadian, that's your, your savings account. That's what a preloaded stimulus is. Be very careful about these people. Uh, they're get, I, I honestly believe that governments around the world, especially, I think more so in the, the first world than the, uh, you know, I, I guess there's a second world or a third world, are panicking. Like I said, more so in, in, in the developed nations than I think anywhere else. It's like they know how bad it really is and they're doing they're and they're starting to make these really bad decisions 
when they look at your savings account because you're well off and look at it like a preloaded stimulus, I think I I don't exactly know what that means. I mean, I'm not a trained economist, but I get the feeling. I get the feeling, y'all, that they're panicking. But Michael Goldstein comes in for the, you know for the save at least if if you're in Texas uh, with a um, sort of a reminder of what the Texas Constitution Article Eight says. Uh, it's like a Section Twenty Four A says individual income tax is prohibited. The legislature may not impose a tax on the net incomes of individuals, including an individual's share of partnership and unincorporated association income. There is no personal income tax in Texas. All right. Now, some people, when he posted that and I reposted it, some people thought that we were saying that we're excused from the federal income tax. No, we are not excused from the federal income tax. But as a reminder, Texas is is either the only state or one of a very few states that reserves the right to secede from the United States. Now, there's going to be even Texas uh, scholars that will tell you that that is incorrect. No, no, it's not incorrect. We actually do retain the right in the Constitution of Texas to secede from the nation uh, if we so choose. However, seceding from the nation, it's not like that would be easy. It's not like we would just do it and everything would be just freaking fine. No, it would suck. I mean, I would rather the United States be in a situation where individual people in individual states weren't actually having to think about secession, but we are. If you live in Texas, I guarantee you, you were thinking of secession unless you were just a one of the really low-life, pure socialist, you know, oh God, one of my liberals, uh, who just absolutely cannot <clears throat> live their life without being enslaved. Those people are thinking about it, but they're thinking about how to make sure that it doesn't happen so that we can continue to be enslaved. But there's more of us that want to get out than there are of them. And God knows I want out. <clears throat> I really do. I want out. If I got to show papers at, you know, at the New Mexico border, uh, fine. I don't give a shit. I mean, you know, they have to, you have to do that, you know, moving through Europe anyway, not through the Eurozone, but through like, you know, like Eastern Europe, going from one country to another, you, you kind it's, it's a, it's a country's border. So you got to do all the shit, but it's not like that stops people and it wouldn't stop us either. I mean, but like I said, I would rather not even have to deal with the fact that I'm thinking along these lines, <clears throat> another person, <clears throat> who's thinking along some, you know, some lines uh, that we would rather not actually have to, to see is Michael Saylor. Mike, I, okay, I like Mike, but Mike needs to shut the hell up. He does. He needs to shut the hell up because he is, he is just doing, at this point, he's doing a disservice to himself, uh, the people that he has named Cyber Hornets, and Bitcoin. Why? Because he says stuff like this. <clears throat> On December the 4th, he cut this little piece of nugget. For Bitcoin to emerge as the world's monetary network and empower billions of people, we will need to embrace a diverse set of evolving requirements from individuals, institutions, and governments with optimism, patience, humility, and good cheer. <clears throat> now, if I take this in the best possible light, then he is talking about uh, individuals, institutions, and governments with optimism, patience, humility, and good cheer are the ones who have to evolve. They have to evolve their requirements. But the way this shit's written sounds to me like he want, he's saying that, well, Bitcoin's going to have to need to change. No, Mike. No, it's not. Okay. You were the one that said you didn't want to, that you weren't, as a billionaire, you weren't going to invest your money into something where a whole bunch of people are running around saying that they want to change shit. Right? They, you want people to lay down their lives, their time, their treasure, their reputations in defense of the network. And here you are seemingly saying that you want the network or, or think the network is going to need to evolve. No, 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 not the, not the base chain. That shit sets in stone. You want to evolve something then you get your crew and you build a second or a second layer on top of Bitcoin, or you build a third layer on top of something like Liquid or the Lightning Network. Please, Mike, do yourself a huge favor. Shut the hell up. 
Now, the good news about (coughs) Michael Saylor is that he bought another $50 million worth of Bitcoin. Nick Chong, tell us about it, btctimes.com. On the afternoon of December the 4th, MicroStrategy CEO Michael Saylor announced that his company purchased another $50 million worth of Bitcoin, detailing that the company acquired 2,574 coins at an average price of $19,427 each. Bitcoin's current value sits at $19,000 as per trading view. According to Securities and Exchange, oh, I did it again. Hold on. I I clicked on the wrong thing. Now I got to reload the damn page. According to a Securities and Exchange filing pertaining to MicroStrategy, the company now holds approximately 40,824 Bitcoin. Uh, They say Bitcoins. No, it's Bitcoin. Bitcoin is singular and Bitcoin is plural. I'm telling you, man, get your shit straight. Approximately 40,824 Bitcoin that were acquired at an aggregate purchase price of $475 million, inclusive of fees and expenses. <clears throat> MicroStrategy is an American investment biz- or American business services and data analytics company. Yeah, we know what it is. You don't have to go through that, Nick. As the BTC Times reported, the company on November the 25th was up around $300 million on its original $425 million investment. While the move is considered rather radical, the market seems to appreciate the firm's move to shift its cash reserves to Bitcoin. The company's shares, which trades on the NASDAQ with the ticker MSTR, now trades for $328 a share. (laughs) The company's shares have gained approximately 160% since the initial purchase of Bitcoin in August. And if you think that there's not a boardroom in, I don't know, the civilized world that is not looking at that, then you are fooling yourself, right? They are looking at it. They're trying to figure out how to not look like dipshits and being like last to the wagon train, right? Now, as far as how they do this and when we know about it, that I don't know. I, I really don't, but at least in the United States and probably for like Europe, Germany and all that kind of thing, uh, they're going to have to report uh, publicly that they uh, are either going to buy it or are buying it or have bought it. You can't just not do that shit. And also they have to report this stuff to the shareholders and get their basic you know, blessing before they do this, which is what Michael Saylor had to do. What's surprising is being able to go through, you know, all that time of alerting all those people that own your shares and not a single leak came out. I'm not sure how he did that, but it's actually kind of impressive when you think about it because that kind of news, you know, you'd think that that shit would have leaked all over the place, but it didn't. So that's really my question is, how many other companies are planning on doing this have notified their shareholders and somehow or another we're not getting leaked news out of it. I don't know, man. It's weird. At approximately 1.46 p.m. UTC, December 4th, 2020, the Solana mainnet beta cluster stopped producing blocks at slot 53,180,900. The Solana team is actively working with validators to restart the network. No funds are at risk. Bullshit. The whole thing is at risk. What are we talking about here? All right, let's get into it. <clears throat> Harrison Seletsky uh, is going to tell us about it by, from beincrypto.com. Uh, it says, for approximately six hours, the Solana network shut down and did not validate any transactions. A still unidentified bug caused the outage. When was this written? Jeez, it was updated today and they still don't know what the hell happened. According to the official Solana Medium page, an, an open writing platform, Solana stopped producing blocks at slot 53 million, blah, blah, blah. This meant that no new transactions could be confirmed. The Solana team claimed no funds were at risk. However, it took the Solana team and approximately 200 validators almost six hours until they could, quote, reset the network and get it back up and running again. The Solana team stated that they will conduct a post-mortem and dissect to better and better understand what caused this issue at its root. For now, things remain very unclear. Why the hell would you put your money in a system that is unclear? Get your money out, guys. 
All that we are sure of is that the network was unusable for six hours. Also, the team needed 80% or more of their validators in order to, quote, restart the network. Oh, you're lucky you got 80%. For that to occur, this large majority needed to agree to the implementation of the Solana plan. Apparently, this took some time to properly execute. The Solana team received mixed reactions about how they handled the situation. Some praised their work, while others were extremely critical. Many critics from the Ethereum community and other base layer blockchain protocols were quick <clears throat> to frame Solana's response negatively and belittled the network for its apparent problems. Solana did receive support from many influential members of the blockchain ecosystem, such as <clears throat> researchers and developers from the Ethereum Foundation. In the middle of large amounts of criticism, former Ethereum founder member uh, Nick Johnson came to their support. Johnson tweeted, quote, watching people dump on Solana because it had a consensus issue is depressing. Let's not involve, evolve into Ethereum maximalists, eh? Especially over something that could easily bite us in the ass someday in the future. <clears throat> yeah, well, it is going to bite you in the ass. It's coming. It's not a matter of if. It's a matter of when and just how bad it's going to be. Although it may take some time before the Solana team can diagnose and share exactly what went wrong with their platform, it seems that many are strongly supporting the project. Fortunately for Solana, it seems their community did not give up on them. Of course not, their bag holders. The price action behind the project's native currency, SOL, barely reacted to this massive event. In the last 24 hours, SOL is down only slightly over 1%. In the cryptocurrency market, this does not represent significant market movement. Yeah, well, that's true. 1% slides or uh, going up or going down on 1% in, in this world is nothing. It's absolutely freaking nothing. People freak out on S&P 1% moves here. It's like, meh, who gives a shit? So it's another, it's another Ethereum offshoot. And these things are just, I mean... We've seen several failures that resulted definitely in fund loss in DeFi. But now this is like, you know, sort of like kind of not that. It's a little bit bigger of a thing. And yet here we go. It's it's just depressing to watch these people oh keep they keep making these coins. They keep printing bullshit and people keep buying the bags. And then people have to actually shed their neural energy to hold on to the bag while clear, clear, clear problems are occurring with the network on which bags they hold. This is why I Bitcoin. <clears throat> quote, it will send BTC, end quote. <laughs> On-chain analyst says Bitcoin holders are only getting stronger. Joseph Young is going to write about Willy Woo for Cointelegraph yesterday. Willy Woo says Bitcoin could hit $200,000 in 2021 because longtime investors are more confident in the ongoing rally. According to on-chain analyst Willy Woo, we are literally looking at a target of $200,000 per coin in 2021. There are two key data points that suggest Bitcoin's ongoing rally could explode higher. First, hodlers or longtime BTC holders aren't moving their funds for longer than in previous rallies. Oh, nice. Second, BTC held on exchanges uh, continues to decrease, which reduces selling pressure. The reaccumulation of Bitcoin has remained a consistently bullish uh, trend throughout 2020. It has continuously decreased the selling pressure on BTC, allowing a more stable rally without major 30 to 40% corrections as frequently seen in 2017. Wu noted that he is bullish for 2021 because Bitcoin's reaccumulation phase means the amount of BTC that could be sold is much lower compared to the previous bull cycle. He said, quote, I have never been so bullish for 2021. I think all of us are ready to get rid of this 2020 year, man. Whether you're in Bitcoin or not, this thing needs to die. <laughs> this reaccumulation phase coincides with spot market inventory depletion, roughly 2x longer and deeper than the last cycle. It will send BTC, period. It will send BTC. I, I guess send it to the moon. I don't know. Atop the declining Bitcoin reserves on exchanges, Wu found that hodlers are hodling stronger. In 2017, the amount of gain per the amount of capital invested in Bitcoin hovered around 25 cents. Uh, huh? 
This figure increased to 35 cents in 2020, which means more investors expect even or expect event bigger profits in the future. Cointelegraph, <clears throat> you need editors like badly. I don't even know what the hell you're talking about. 25 cents to 35 cents. Okay, look, if you get it and I don't, and you're laughing at me, I, I, I can deal with it. <clears throat> but uh, more investors expect event bigger profits in the future? No. Expect even bigger profits in the future, whatever that means in context of 25 to 35 cents. I don't know. Okay, let's move on. Based on the combination of the two optimistic on-chain trends, Wu said that Bitcoin could achieve a conservative price of $200,000 by the end of 2020. He explained, quote, my top model suggests 200K by, uh, per BTC by end of 2021, and at that looks conservative. 300,000, not out of the question. The current market on average paid $7,456 per coin. You are all geniuses. <laughs> Yeah, we're all lucky. We got in early. As reported in May, Bitcoin hodler wave data also supports the argument that hodlers from the 2017-2018 bull cycle are not selling at these relatively high prices, including high net worth individuals or, quote, whales. <clears throat> However, this data also suggests that some early hodlers from three to seven years ago are taking profit after a prolonged BTC rally. Heightening, <clears throat> heightening the chances of a correction in the short term. Wu, or sort of rather, as Cointelegraph previously reported, Wu has been calling for an extended Bitcoin bull, bull run since March 2020. On March the 4th, Wu told Max Kaiser, the host of RT's Kaiser Report, that Bitcoin could hit 135,000 in the bull run. He said at that time, quote, you could go 35 times the cumulative average of the price and that's actually picked up every single top in the 10-year history of Bitcoin. Right now, that's sitting above $50,000, but it keeps climbing the longer it runs for, end quote. Although the price of Bitcoin fell to sub four grand on March the 12th in a Black Thursday crash that shocked the market, it has swiftly recovered since. The bull trend that was bound to happen in March before the crash appears to be in full swing now following BTC's strong nine-month recovery. In the near term, analysts believe that the likelihood of the recovery in the United States dollar could cause Bitcoin to see a minor pullback following the biggest three-week liquidation in the gold market. Analysts also see the precious metal rebounding, which could stall BTC's momentum in the short term. Yeah, well, I guess Peter Schiff is, is happy about that. Now, here you go. I warned you on Twitter this morning. I warned you it was going to happen. Here it comes. Duh. Hong Fi is writing this for Cointelegraph. The butterfly effect. Why DeFi will force BTC to break its 21 million supply ceiling. Also in that warning on Twitter was the fact that I'm not going to read this pile of shit. Why? Because it's a great big steaming pile of donkey do. That's why. <clears throat> it's no, DeFi isn't going to force Bitcoin to break any consensus rules. If you think DeFi has anything at all, like any pressure will provide any pressure or have any influence whatsoever over Bitcoin, I'm laughing. I'm laughing at you if you think that. It will not. Because if that were to happen and quote unquote a Bitcoin where, you know, a whole bunch of developers got together and said, yeah, let's raise the 21 million cap. My node will not connect with that chain. Why? Because it'll be a hard fork. And you'll end up with Bitcoin Diamond 2.0 or Bitcoin, I don't know, Unobtainium or Bitcoin some metal that we haven't found yet. I don't know what the chain will be named, but it ain't going to be Bitcoin. We've been through this before. At this point, shit like this should shed off your back like, you know, like water off a duck. All right. There's, there's absolutely no way that the 21 million supply ceiling is going to break. If it does, it's just going to be a hard fork and it's going to end up being named Bitcoin. And those developers are going to fade into existence like all the people that went to BSV out of the BCH fork, which came out of the uh, Bitcoin fork. And we didn't want those guys anyway. 
because they were always yipping and yapping about how they wanted to change one aspect of Bitcoin. Again, Michael Saylor, you need to really stop talking about changes to Bitcoin. Otherwise, it's going to come back and it's going to bite you in the ass. Now, here's one that I will read. Here's how to buy Apple co-founder Steve Wozniak's new cryptocurrency. <laughs> Matthew DeSalvo, tell me about it. He's writing this one for Decrypt.co on December the 6th and says, Apple co-founder Steve Wozniak launched a new cryptocurrency this week, but how do you get your hands on it? <laughs> Don't give a shit. WozX, W-O-Z-X. It's I'm like, it's like a radio station on the east side of the Mississippi, is the token for Wozniak's new energy-saving platform, eForce. That's spelled E-F-F-O-R-C-E. And if you want to go tag along, I don't know why you would, but it's at eForceOfficial, all one word, eForceOfficial on Twitter, uh, whatever. According to the company's white paper, eForce is, quote, a blockchain-based energy-saving trading platform that brings together those who want to improve the energy efficiency of their buildings or industrial processes with a pool of contributors interested in being repaid in tokens representing the energy savings achieved. <laughs> She's Wozniak. Uh, in other words, Wozx, W-O-Z-X, is given to those who take part in E-Force's energy saving initiatives. Holders of the token may also take part in decision-making involving the eForce platform, too. So how do you buy some? I don't give a shit. Uh, you skip all that. Buying USDT, blah, blah, blah. And at the time of writing, one WOZX is worth $1.09. $1.09. So there you have it. If you want to be a, one of the first ones to get your hands on this pile of crap, uh, you can do so on one of the lesser known exchanges and it's pretty easy. Uh, don't, dude, seriously don't. Just, I mean, honestly, guys, don't. This is ridiculous. The, you know what this is? This is like, uh, like me, my, my wife and I uh, used to get these, uh, not pre-made dinner packs, but you know, that you, you sign up for a service and once a week they drop a box of like three or four meals uh, at your door. You have to cook them. You know, which is great because they, you know, they send you only the, you know, the amount of meat that you need and there's like not a lot of waste. And actually, honestly, man, the service was pretty good and we were getting it from a place called Marley Spoon. Now, the deal with Marley Spoon was is that they co-branded the only way they could sell their shit and get like any kind of, notif you know, notice in the market was they had to pair up with Martha Stewart. Does that mean that Martha Stewart came into the studios or their, like, I don't know, their their kitchens or whatever, where they were, like, developing these recipes and develop her own recipes? No, hell no. She does I, I guarantee she probably not didn't even meet with the people from Marley Spoon. She literally, her lawyers or whatever said, hey, they're willing to pay us this to put your name on that box. And she said, that's enough money. Go ahead, sign the paperwork. And that was it. That's called branding. Steve Wozniak probably doesn't have, he probably didn't like write code one for this thing. Somebody came to Steve and said, hey, we'll pay you this amount of money to brand your name onto this bullshit e-force that does this weird thing about building energy efficiency and industrial process energy, energy efficiency. You don't need a blockchain for that. That's almost worse than putting apples and bananas on the blockchain. Steve, dude, you sold out, you sold out hardcore. Hope you're proud of yourself. Let's run the numbers. The future is now, bitches. CNBC's futures and commodities. We got oil down a point and, I don't know, 1.15 points. Brenton or C is down a point. It's going to come in at $48.74 a barrel natural gas just swinging for the fences on the downside dude 6.8 points down sick almost seven point a seven percent down i don't like i said i will never know i asked my sister about it who has a you know more of a hope in hell of understanding why natural gas does these swings and all we could come up with was the fact that it because 
a lot of natural gas isn't connected to any kind of pipeline grid type thing that you get these weird swings because only a few producers and even that doesn't really satisfy a Monday price swing of 7%. I don't know what the hell's going on with natural gas, but it's funny to see. $2.39 is going to buy you a thousand cubic feet of that. Gold, not faring, you know, well, okay, yeah, gold's faring much better than natural gas, but it is down a quarter. Uh, it's going to cost $1,835.80 to buy you an ounce of that shit. You can buy almost 11 ounces with one Bitcoin, but we won't go there. We'll do that one later. Silver is down 1.6%. Platinum is down, damn, 4% almost. Copper's down almost a full percent. Palladium, yeah, well, who gives a shit? Nobody uses it. Uh, see, indexes, ooh, yay, Dow Futures. Okay, we're all saved. Uh, everything is down meh, right? So Dow Futures down 0.3, S&P Futures down 0.3, NASDAQ Futures down 0.05, and S&P Mini is down uh, 0.3 as well. Let's talk about real money. Bitcoin coming in at $19,156. It looks like my high is going to be over at Bit Asset, $19,184. I got a low. Where is my low? My low is going to be at GDAX, $19,156. No, yeah. Okay, yeah. 100, yeah so it's like that's the low. 19156 And the high is going to be uh, $19,184. So not much, like what? That $30, $28, you know, room there? No. Nah, that's not enough arbitrage distance. Uh, 284,000 transactions were performed in the last 24 hours. That's about 12,000 transactions on average per hour. 1.4 million BTC being sent around the horn in the last 24 hours. And uh, let's see, uh, 60,000 BTC have been sent every hour on the hour per on average. Average transaction value is 5 BTC. Median transaction value is 0.024 BTC. So that's much down. 480 bucks is the uh, USD equivalent. Block times are pretty low, man. Eight minutes and 53 seconds. We have 0.3 BTC being taken in reward or in fees on a per block basis, and 51 BTC has been taken in fees overall in the last 24 hours. We've had a slight drop in hash rate, 0.28, but the hash rate is 133.14 exahashes per second. So I guess we had a difficulty adjustment. Uh, let's see what's going on. Is there anything of note in the shit coins? <clears throat> yeah, Litecoin is chilling out at 82.7. Dogecoin is below its normal 0.0034, but as per usual, it has more transactions on the Doge chain than Ethereum Classic has on it or Bcash. Bcash has dropped precipitously, 15,748 transactions on the original shit chain. So there you go for that one. Clark, what do you got? We have 14,000 transactions and it's waiting for nine blocks to clear all that. So we should, well, unless something happens, uh, we should be good to go for lower fees. We have 1,075 BTC in the Lightning Network and that is $20.6 million in value. That is spread across 7,895 nodes with 36,159 channels. We have a Tor capacity that is holding at 51.8%. That's 556.89 BTC on the Tor side of the Lightning Network. And the amount of Tor nodes holding up the, the light the Tor side of the Lightning Network is 2,684. Clark's looking at a money supply of 18,564,612.9 BTC. You can get 10.4 ounces of gold with one BTC, and we have captured 3% of that market cap. Market capitalization total is $356.3 billion. That's billion with a B. There's your vitals. Come in, Jimmy Huen, Bitcoin Association founding president. Jimmy, welcome to the program. It's great to see you. Thank you, and hello from Dubai. Uh, indeed, hello, hello to Dubai. Uh, I want to know, is Bitcoin a currency or is it a store of value like gold? I know you can say it's both, but I think you prefer to see it as a currency. Am I right? 
Absolutely. Uh, Bitcoin was born to be a peer-to-peer -peer electronic cash system. That's the title of the famed Satoshi Nakamoto white paper which introduced Bitcoin, meaning it's meant to be used in daily life by businesses and consumers all over the world. And that's where it should get its real value from actual usage at high scale with fast transactions and super low fees. That's unfortunately not what has happened with Bitcoin. And there's a new narrative being pushed that it's a store of value, which is what is driving up its price recently. But it has recently been coming into almost common usage. I mean, you can actually buy things with Bitcoin. You can, you can use it as a currency. Uh, that surely um, is going I to isn't that going to expand? Yeah. No, I would disagree with that. I think Bitcoin is very rarely used today to pay for things at merchants. Even though PayPal has added it as an option, you don't really own and use the currency itself. It's converted to fiat currency. Instead, because the Bitcoin network did not scale, it's slow. Transaction fees are high. Today I checked, and the average transaction fee to send a Bitcoin transaction is over seven US dollars. So you can't transact with it in daily life to buy your groceries or coffee or your gas if it costs that much just to send a transaction. The white paper described Bitcoin to be a solution to make more efficient internet commerce payments, including for small casual transactions. That's not what has happened with Bitcoin. Instead, public companies such as MicroStrategy and Square have bought up large reserves of the coin and are treating it as a reserve asset, hoping that it goes up in value just by parking it, not actually using it to transact with in daily business and consumer life. And you want it to go the other way. You want it used on a daily transactional basis. Well, Absolutely. I'd like to see that too, Jimmy. Look, thanks very much for coming yeah, on the we, show, Jimmy. I appreciate yeah, it. Thank Jimmy you so Quinn, much for having me. And we'll see you again soon. Promise. Shows you the stupidity. Oh, man, that's just painful. That was just painful. Who was that? Well, that was Jimmy Wynn, president of the Bitcoin Foundation, which has absolutely nothing to do with Bitcoin. He went up there. Somehow or another got invited to this interview. I covered this shit on Friday, but I didn't have the audio. But the, the audio, just listening to it, is so much more pleasant than reading about it because it's just... <laughs> I I mean I got a lot of shit when I, I tweeted this out like I, I made the cuts uh, did you know a little bit of editing and then um, uh, to clean up the video and the audio a little bit and then uh, set it out on a tweet and I got that's like one of my I don't know one it's one of those tweets that got like I don't know I think it's like sitting at like 200, 200 likes and a whole shit ton of comments now I didn't I, thankfully I didn't get ratioed by the BSV crowd but uh, there was a lot of hate about that one. I mean, that one really got under the skin of a bunch of BSV people. And it should, because Jimmy just basically spent two minutes bashing Bitcoin to the point that the producers got in the ear of the host and said, you got to get them off. You got to get them off. We, we had, they, had, they clearly had no freaking clue who this guy was, what he represented. They literally thought he was part of Bitcoin. And it became very evident very quickly that he has nothing at all to do with Bitcoin. They wanted somebody on there to talk about Bitcoin. What they got was Jimmy Wynn. Oh, man, that's just, God, the, the embarrassment. Oh. Now, getting back to actual, you know, Bitcoin news, we have this one from the BTC Times. Aria Cromwell's writing this one sometime this morning. It says, this tournament platform pays Call of Duty players via Lightning. Hmm. Okay, worldwide, more than 75 million gamers have chosen Call of Duty Warzone, a free-to-play battle royale game that's part of the third highest-grossing video game franchise in the world. That's right. I'm going to stop right there. Call of Duty was one of my all-time favorite, favorite FPS or first-person shooter games. My wife bought me the very first instance of that franchise when it was still about World War II. Um, this one is not about World War II. Most of the Call of Duty stuff went into like, you know, Black Ops and I don't know. All, like, so there's some really nasty shit. Uh, there's like some tor places where you can torture people. The original Call of Duty was not like that. The original Call of Duty was almost a way that you could have, you could have told the, uh, a, like at least a, a brief history of, you know, a good history of World War II, the landing, you know, landing at the beachheads on Omaha Beach, um, part of D-Day and whatnot like that. You could have taught a lot about military strategy. You could have done a lot. And of course, they didn't. 
but it was close enough. I mean, but it was definitely World War II. They'd spent a lot of time on the, you know, the the weaponry and how accurate they were. Like I learned really quick that the uh, Thompson submachine gun that they get, gave commanders in World War II couldn't hit the broadside of a barn. You know what could? The MPs that the German troops were were uh, uh, hefting, like the I can't remember what it was, the MP forty two, or there was two different kinds of machine guns. Those sons of bitches were deadly, and if if they were correct, you know, if that's actually like they did enough uh, like target practice in real time to figure out that they they wanted to make a modifier on the Thompson submachine gun so that it literally was was a very inaccurate weapon. If that's the way it really was in World War II, the very first thing I would have done is chuck my Thompson and, and pick pick an MP off of a dead dead German soldier. That was the first thing that I did while I was playing that game. But continuing on here, in groups of up to 150 users at a time, players combat each other in best first-person shooter fashion, either privately or professionally in global esports tournaments. Eager to tap into the massive Call of Duty universe is Hangar 6 a platform that plans to claim some of Call of Duty's competitive gamers by hosting tournaments with a twist. Like other tournament sites, Hangar 6 organizes competitions for Warzone players, adding an extra financial incentive to their gameplay. But other than most, uh, players that compete on Hangar 6 receive their payouts directly via Bitcoin's Lightning Network. Quote, the idea to build something like this started when I saw these indie Lightning games being built, Hangar 6 creator Bitcoin Bram explains. Although they are really awesome and I look forward to playing them, I don't think that they will replace AAA games like Call of Duty for quite a while. In quote, Lightning Games incorporate payments in Satoshis into their gameplay. Given the Lightning Network's tender age of just over two and a half years, the selection of Lightning Games is currently limited, most playable options being either mobile or hyper-casual games. With Call of Duty-focused Hangar 6, Bram has instead set his eye on an $18 billion AAA franchise, AAA games are top quality titles developed by large studios, usually backed by massive development and marketing budgets. The platform is not without competition itself, however, as it seeks to enter a market with multiple existing tournament providers, most of which pay out prizes traditionally a means and or in via traditional means and lure in gamers with prize pools of multiple hundreds or even thousands of dollars. Tournaments on Hangar 6 provide payouts of 50,000 sats per game, which is about 10 bucks. Bram explains that as the player count of Hangar 6 rises, so will the prizes. At the moment, his target group are Bitcoiners that play Warzone, and he is pursuing tournament sponsorships to provide attractive prizes to participants. Bram is conceived, uh, convinced, conceived, is convinced that his platform has an edge over competitors, when it comes to usability. However, many tournament players require participants to join Discord servers and post gameplay screenshots, he says. Hangar 6 uses Call of Duty's API to automate the process and make it as simple as possible for gamers to sign up for a tournament. Once registered, a player can return to their game and their score is calculated automatically to determine their rank. Down the road, Hangar 6 will figure or feature tutorials for the setup of a Lightning Wallet, which is required to participate in tournaments and simple Bitcoin explainers so that newcomers, quote, don't shy away because they are not yet familiar with Bitcoin. Lightning users' friendliness should no longer pose an obstacle, though, Bram believes, quote, Lightning nowadays really isn't harder than installing an app, though, excuse me, even non-custodial Lightning. Uh, I think we have come a long way with Lightning and it's ready for a bigger audience, end quote. Eventually, Bram wants Hangar 6 to attract attract a portion of Warzone's 75 million players, quote, gamers are the one group that should grasp the idea of virtual currency quickly, he muses, uh, adding that the financial incentive that comes with tournaments can significantly enhance the gaming experience, quote, it is way more exciting when you know there is real hard money on the line. We want players to experience that. And as you know, I have been interviewing almost solidly uh, people that are in the gaming side of Bitcoin. And again, I will reiterate that I'm a little confused as to why this isn't happening a little bit faster. But now that we got Hangar 6 in the mix and targeting AAA games, you never know. 
the acceleration may occur and may be blindingly much more faster than we could possibly imagine. Okay, another experiment on the Chinese public. Yay, China to test tap payments for digital yuan. Shara Malwa is writing this for Decrypt.co sometime this morning. China's ambitious digital currency will be used for transfers between two mobile phones using a simple tap, tapity tap tap feature. This Friday, local publication Nikkei Asia reported today. The trials aim to expand the digital currency's use case from mere retail payments to a broader ecosystem. China's digital yuan, officially the digital currency electronic payment or DCEP, DCEP, is the country's state-backed digital currency backed by the yuan and overseen by the People's Bank of China. Over 1,000 people will take part in upcoming trials that take place in the city of Suzhou, sorry, Suzhou, I guess, a tourist-centric city near Shanghai. Testers will be airdropped the digital yuan and tap their smartphones with each other to transfer money to supposedly replicate the experience of giving out cash in a traditional setting. And there's nothing traditional about this. We'll get to that. Chinese telecom giant Huawei will provide the phones for the trial. It joins other local companies such as ride-sharing service Didi in the test, which have seen the government partner with private players, uh, that's fascism, to develop and integrate the digital wand in their own apps. No, seriously, dude, private firms partnering with, with uh, uh, federal governments is, is in fact very definition of fascism, in case you were wondering. Overall, 100,000 people in Shuzu will receive 200 won, which is about $31 each, and asked to purchase items at retail stores in the city. Meanwhile, e-retailer JD.com may also become the first online platform to accept the digital currency, the report said. Choosing Friday, December the 12th, for the test is no random selection either. The date is a Chinese shopping event called the Double Twelve which sees e-retailers, retail shops, and other businesses offer discounts to spur buying. This means a busy time for payment networks, creating a perfect setting for authorities authorities to check if the digital wand works well in a busy period. The Shuzu tests are part of a broader trial run in 28 major cities, which in turn is part of China's shift to a wholly digital financial system. The country has marked out 2020 for the full-scale rollout of its new financial system, and so far the results have been promising. You completely miss the point. Huawei is giving the phones to the people. You know, there are however many people, like what was it, a thousand people. They're each going to get 31 bucks on these Huawei phones and they're going to tap each other. I guarantee you that that your identity as a Chinese citizen, if you're taking part of this, is known and encoded on that phone and they know exactly who you gave money to. They say retail, but I mean, I guarantee you, man, this is about other people like tapping other, you know, like, you know, one shopper, yeah, just like citizenry tapping each other's phones. They know where the money went. If I give you a $20 bill, nobody knows jack shit. If I tap your phone and give you 20 bucks from my phone to, to your phone, somebody knows what happened. They know when it happened. They know where it happened. They know how much I gave you. This is evil at its core. It's working well, according to the author. Uh, let's see, uh, the, the results have been promising. That's not promising. It's promising to the fascist. It's not promising to you. Just keep that shit in mind. Crypto players plead presidential pardon case for Ross Ulbricht. Yeah, we should all be jumping on this shit, guys. Turner Wright is writing this for Cointelegraph. Uh, this was written yesterday, in fact. With just 44 days before Joe Biden's inauguration as president of the United States, players in the crypto space are imploring Donald Trump to use his pardoning power for Silk Road founder Ross Ulbricht. In a recent tweet from Jason Williams, uh, Morgan Creek Digital Asset co-founder pleaded for Trump to, quote, do the right thing by pardoning Ulbricht as well as whistleblower Edward Snowden, Peter McCormick of the What Bitcoin Did podcast followed suit a few days later, adding WikiLeaks founder Julian Assange to the list of potential pardons. And they have Peter's tweet right here, but I'm not going to read it. The three, Snowden, Ulbricht, and Assange, are among many names being put forth by advisors, pundits, and conservative commenters as Trump, Trump serves out the rest of his presidency. Ulbricht, the founder of Dark Web Marketplace Silk Road, is currently serving two life sentences plus 40 years. They didn't put the plus 40 years, but two life sentences plus 40 years without the possibility of parole 
after being found guilty of federal charges on money laundering, computer hacking, and conspiracy to traffic narcotics. For those of you who believe that he should be in jail and are adding the charge of uh, selling assassinations or something like that, those charges were dropped because they were never able to prove it and the entire that entire narrative was complete bullshit. There was never a time that Ross Ulbricht was going to engage in assassination. At the time, the man was just a child. I mean, come on, dude. The guy was so... I mean, you're not, I'm, I'm sorry, but, and I got a lot of pushback when, uh, like a, like last week I said something about how he, he should also be pardoned. And this idiot comes into my feed who is now muted. Uh, I can't even remember his name. That's what I love about the mute button. You just forget these people exist. Um, <clears throat> was saying something about how he was a criminal and he deserved it and all that. And I'm like, man, you, you just, you don't, I mean, it was like, for running a website, that was what I, I wrote back to him. I'm like, he deserved two two life sentences plus 40 for running a website. And he said that he facilitated. The guy came back and said, well, he was facilitating illicit behavior. And I'm like, man, you just don't get it. There's so many people in the world that just don't get it. It's up to us to educate them. Snowden, a former national security agency contractor turned whistleblower, left the United States in 2013 and was granted asylum in Russia. The Department of Justice has charged him with violating the Espionage Act of 1917 and theft of government property. He has since stated he will apply for Russian citizenship. Uh, through an Austrian or Australian, though an Australian national, Assange has faced charges from more than one national authority, including the allegations of sexual assault in Sweden. In 2019, the United States charged him with violating the Espionage Act of 1917 related to the release of documents provided by U.S. Army Intelligence, Anal uh, in, uh, US Army Intelligence Analyst Chelsea Manning on WikiLeaks. Assange is currently in a U.K. prison awaiting an extradition decision to be tried in the United States. According to a Supreme Court decision, the power of the United States president to pardon someone is unlimited Though this ruling is being questioned in the media amid Trump rumors or rumors Trump is considering preemptively pardoning himself before leaving the White House on January the 20th. Uh, since taking office in 2017, he has pardoned, commuted, or rescinded the conviction of 45 individuals charged with federal offenses because there is no limit to the number of federal pardons Trump can issue. Uh, deciding who receives one can simply be a matter of a response to a public outcry or personal preference. Trump said in August he was going to start looking at pardoning Snowden, while a lawyer for Assange has claimed a former Republican congressman offered the WikiLeaks founder a presidential pardon as well. I don't know how that works. While Snowden is a possible recipient of a pardon, he has also advocated for Assange to receive one in, instead of himself. Without a definitive statement from the United States, President and time, oh, sorry, without a definitive statement from the United States president, and time is running out. Crypto players are seemingly hoping to put Assange, Snowden, Ulbricht, and some combination of the three to the top of the list, at least prominently on Twitter, to catch Trump's attention. Uh, not all crypto users were so eager to see Ulbricht potentially go free, given the controversial nature of Silk Road as a facilitator for buying and selling drugs. Quote, I will never understand why so many Bitcoin maximalists are eager to pardon past Ulbricht, or Ross Ulbricht, said Jax Draper. I believe he got an extreme sentence and that he's possible of changing, uh, but he's very far from innocent. That's, this is just complete bullshit. I mean, war on, you know, war on drugs, not going well. Drugs won, by the way. Uh, the 1930s prohibition on alcohol, it didn't work. Uh, we have alcohol on nearly every corner in the United States. This shit doesn't work. There's no reason that Ross Ulbricht should be in prison. I implore you to however way you can, Twitter, Facebook, uh, Instagram, any social media, pick up the phone. I don't know. Write an email to your congressman. Not that it really works anymore, but you get my drift. Spend the time. Let's get these, at least Ross Ulbricht and, and Julian Assange. Snowden may very well just not give a shit. Honestly, I, I don't, Snowden may just never want to come back to the United States because even if he's pardoned and Snowden comes back to the United States, you don't think that the CIA and FBI and uh, whoever else does this kind of shit, 
uh, isn't going to be watching him. I mean, I would be I would be looking for like red dots all over my body all the time, honestly, if I was Snowden and I got pardoned and came back. But we, we shall have to see. Honestly, though, spend the time. Let's try to get these people out of jail, especially Ross Ulbricht. Bring back the bits. Adam Back argues to scrap Bitcoin sats. I like Adam, but dude, give it up, bro. Decrypt.co's Matthew DeSalvo going to tell us about it. Uh, Adam Back, CEO of blockchain technology company Blockstream, has said that Bitcoiners should forget about the Satoshi unit of measurement known as the SAT. The computer scientist yesterday wrote on Twitter that it was time for a bits reboot and that SATs are confusing. The computer scientist uh, says in his tweet, says, uh, Bitcoin bits is greater than sats. Time for a bits reboot IMO, in, in my opinion. Nah, nah, nah. I wrote him back. I mean, I've, I've talked to Adam before on Twitter. He knows who I am. And I, I, you know, I'm usually really cordial with him, you know, but this time I'm like, I just had to write him back and say, nah. I'm sure Adam will be fine. Satoshi's named after Bitcoin's anonymous creator. Are units measuring the smallest amount of Bitcoin, which is 100 millionth of a coin? But according to Back, who has been studying Bitcoin since its inception, we should never revert. Or we should revert back to using bits as the smallest user of uh, unit of measurement because it's easier. Bits measures one millionth of a coin. A million. What, or rather, quote, 1 million is much easier than 100 million base, uh, he wrote. Even Bitcoin QT had bits for years. Back went on to say, a Bitcoin is too expensive, but sats are too many. Sound cheap and confusing. That's hard to figure out what you bought. He noted that if the price of Bitcoin reaches 1 million, a bit will be cheap at $1. He also said that there has been a universal newcomer confusion with buying fractions of a Bitcoin and that, quote, you still have sats, just bits and bit cents, a.k.a. sats like dollars and cents. Jesus Christ. This, now it's confusing. Thank you, Adam. I appreciate you injecting the confusion here. The crypto community lapped up Back's idea on Twitter. No, we didn't. Crypto anarchist David Burkett wrote, I couldn't agree more. Sats have always seemed too small and abundant to reason about. Dividing by 100 million is also much less natural than dividing by 1 million. Dude, it's just numbers. Whatever. When While Bitcoin maximalist, the pseudonymous Bitcoin Arthur Morgan said, I totally agree with you on this. We should use bits more. After the coming bull market it's, is finished, exchanges can denominate the BTC price per bit, end quote. And the co-founder of computing platform Blockstack agreed, bits is a much simpler mental model, end quote. And perhaps the simplest argument back went on to add that, quote, there is something poetic about a Bitcoin being made of bits. Bring back the bits. No, we're at sats. You know, if you want to, if, if we have to start doing sub Satoshi payments because one sat is a dollar, then we can use bits. That's, that's where I'm thinking. I'm like a hundred bits makes up a sat. A hundred million sats makes up a, a, a Bitcoin. I, I, I get what Adam's trying to say, but all that this is really doing is injecting a lot of confusion. And, you know, it, it's going to be fine. It's not going to hurt anything, but uh, I would not bring up bits uh, to newcomers. I would I would stay with uh, 21 million Bitcoin, 100 million Satoshis per Bitcoin, and we can send sub-Satoshi payments if the need arises. And just leave it at that. Because it, introducing bits and dividing by 1 million instead of 100 million, it's just, a, it's just more math to actually handle, and we don't want that. New U.S. stimulus... Brexit and 20K, five things to watch for in Bitcoin this week. So around the horn to end off the news portion, a mountain of fresh U.S. debt contrasts with a mountain of institutional cash potentially set to flow into Bitcoin. Thanks to Major FOMO, Cointelegraph's William Suberg writing this one very early this morning. Uh, Bitcoin starts another week aiming for 19500 and beyond as crunch time for Brexit meets mass U.S. money printing. Money printer go burr. Cointelegraph is taking a look at all this. So what's going on? The more controversial elements of U.S. President-elect Joe Biden's future tenure are already becoming clear, and it's good news for Bitcoin. As his inauguration edges closer, Biden has already said that he plans $7 trillion recovery package to tackle the impact of the corona. 
This would add a huge new chunk of debt to the already huge mountain that the United States has accrued this year. Yeah, we printed more money in June than the entire existence of the United States. Let that one sink in. Against the backdrop of an already weakening dollar, the United States could thus face a potent cocktail of dangerous economic factors driving down wealth. The appeal of a safe haven has thus never been so real. Uh, we had a horrible time in 2008 because of too much debt. And since 2008, the debt everywhere has skyrocketed. We can't even count how much debt is up. Jim Rogers, co-founder of the Quantum Fund with George Soros, said at an investment summit last week, uh, quoted by Reuters, quote, if Janet Yellen is the next Secretary of Treasury, she loves to print and spend money. She gonna, she's going to order ink like by the barrel full, man. As Cointelegraph reported, the strength of the dollar is predicted to fall further in 2021. Something that has traditionally buoyed Bitcoin, the greenback is already at its weakest against a basket of trading partner currencies since April of 2018 as an indication of the direction the United States is headed. Meanwhile, uh, Preston Pish noted the opposing direction of U.S. debt versus M2 money velocity. Quote, check out the disparity on these two charts. Uh, another quote, a growth in M2 money supply by 22.5%, velocity of money down by 20%, printing is nesting itself into bonds and stocks, is causing massive destruction of the middle class. You might want to check out Bitcoin. New debt may come a lot sooner than even Biden can summon. As senators began hinting on Sunday, a new coronavirus stimulus package could appear on Monday. Subject to voting, the bill would come with a price tag of a trillion dollars and provide targeted relief, Democratic Senator Mark Wagner of Virginia told CNN, quote, I think we have got the top line numbers done. We are working right now on language so that we can have, as early as tomorrow, a piece of legislation. Oh, thank God, a piece of legislation. As long as we've got a piece of legislation, I guess we're all saved. The new stimulus bill has seen little progress, despite promises from Treasury Secretary Steve Mnuchin butts months before. A second stimulus check of $1,200 for eligible Americans, however, no longer features in the latest proposals. The first $1,200 stimulus check from mid-April would be worth almost $4,000 if you had invested it in Bitcoin at the time. So now it's Brexit. It's make a break for the United Kingdom and European Union agreeing to a Brexit trade deal. After many a delayed deadline and last-ditch efforts to resolve the differences, the two sides now accept that time has run out and that it's only a matter of days or less that stands between the UK leaving with a big deal or crashing out of the EU. Quote, we keep calm as always, and if there is still a way, we will see the EU's chief negotiator, Michael Barner, told reporters over the weekend. The pound was suppressed on Monday as uncertainty took hold and a surprise lack of trade of a trade deal would automatically shave off more of its value, said an analyst. Honestly, dude, go ahead and leave. E even if you don't get a deal with the European Union, it's not like, it's not, I don't know. I, I don't, I just don't think it's all that gloomy. I, and honestly, if you can get away from the European Union, you probably should. I mean, that, that's just a, that thing is just going down hell in a handbasket. I, if I was the UK, I'd get out too, but not my country, not my business. That's going to do it for the morning roundup. Rick, I just, I, I just as a, as a, as a public health and public service announcement uh, for the audience, the difference wait, between wait, a big all, box retailer. Who is this? Hold on. The difference between <clears throat> the dangerous. The different the else? difference between who a who big else? box retailer. Hold on. The difference between a big box retailer and a restaurant, or frankly, even a, a church, are so different it's unbelievable. Going I into a big box retailer, I you're wearing I disagree. You're wearing You can a mask. have your thoughts and I you're can have mine. To wear a mask. I disagree. I, it's science. I'm sorry. It's science. If it's you're wearing a mask, science. it's a different story. 500 people at a Lowe's aren't any safer than 150 people in a restaurant that holds 600. I don't believe it. Sorry. Don't believe okay. it. And I you, live in an area don't... where there's a lot of restaurants that have fought back and they don't have any problems. And they're open. Okay. You don't have to believe it, but let me just say this. You're doing a I disservice to I the won't. viewer because the viewers need to you understand it. You are doing it. a disservice we, we to the viewer. You are. You are. 
I'm sorry. I'm sorry. If, if, if I, I would like to keep our viewers as healthy as humanly possible. The idea of packing people into yeah. restaurants. I think our viewers are smart enough to make part of those decisions on their completely own. Different I don't things. think that I'm much smarter different than all the viewers like some people do. Not much left to be said about that. There's your smoldering pile. Oh, God, that was awful. Um, and, okay, well, there is something to be said about it. I'm actually on, I think that's uh, Santelli or Santori, I can't remember. The guy that was bitching about, you know, not the guy that was bootlicking. The guy that was saying that this entire thing is ridiculous. That's the guy I agree with. The anchor was just it was like why it's just like a baby crying, man. But let's let's move on. We have we have jokes. I, I have jokes for you. I really do. Um the first one uh is that, you know, well, I guess we kind of know this. Dogs can't operate MRI machines, but cats scan. And that's good news because my boss asked me why I only get sick on work days. I said it must be my weekend immune system. twofer. Gave you a twofer for the Monday. That said, I'll see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin And, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.